Well read now. That is a hard passage. Well read. Okay. Let's pray before we dig into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for how you are at work in so many of our lives, that you are at work amongst us here. Thank you for how you've worked through Lily uh, in reaching those girls. Thank you for how you are working through many of us in in loving those around us and and reaching those uh, for Jesus. Father, we pray that you might speak to us now, that you might build us up by your word and that we might hear it clearly and respond with our love and our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stop writing, put your pens down and pass your papers to the front. How do those words make you feel? In a former life as an exercise physiologist, I used to test people all the time. And tests would never bring a smile to people's faces. One of my roles as an exercise physiologist was as a corporate health assessor. And this is where I'd turn up to big office blocks. I'd set up a room in in one of their offices, ready to test all these various functions of their bodies. And then I'd wait for people to knock on the door, for employees to knock on the door. Often assuming that the test would be more questionnaires rather than physical, the employees would look around the room and you'd see in their face, there was like this moment of, should I run or not? They usually didn't, thankfully. Tests. They're not the most enjoyable experiences for most of us. But this evening, we're being asked to test ourselves. So chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul says, test yourselves. Now, of course, in our saner moments, we know that tests aren't a bad thing. Tests give us an indication of how things really are. So if I did a fitness test now, it would show me that babies are not conducive to health and fitness. If I was to uh, have a a rock, if if I had a piece of gold and I wanted to make sure it was really gold, I'd test it. And I've, I've, so I've read that you'd pour nitric acid on it, and if it wasn't gold, if it was fake, it would turn green. Tests give us an indication of how things really are, and that's what we're going to do to, tonight. We're going to test ourselves. And testing ourselves isn't unusual um, when it comes to Christians and the Scriptures. Paul says in Acts 20, pay careful attention to yourself. And John says in his second letter, watch yourself. And the psalmist says, test me and search my heart. And Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But it's really important to emphasize that this test is not um, in order to get into the Christian faith. It's not like you know, working for a really high ATAR so that you can get into a prestigious university course. This isn't a test like that. This is a test to give an indication of how things really are. And is Jesus in you? 13.5. Do you not realize that Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So as Terry said, this is the, the last sermon in our look at 2 Corinthians. And as we've seen in the letter, the Corinthians have a tendency to confuse that which glitters as being the real deal. But the problem is, that which glitters isn't always the real deal. So in other words, the Corinthians thought that style equaled substance. 
that if someone could spellbound an audience, if someone could speak really impressively, if they had credentials sort of listed under their name, then they must be the real deal. And Paul wasn't like that. He didn't have style to match. And so they assumed he didn't have the goods. And so after having to prove himself as an apostle for chapters, as we've seen, now he asked them to test themselves. And so this evening we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the the heart behind the test and the test itself. We're going to focus on the test for the most time, but we're going to look at the heart behind the test and the test itself. So when I used to play more competitive cricket in in a life gone by, there was pre-season training. And it would be 7am in the morning in September. The, The grass would be dewy, it would be cold. No one wanted to be there. But someone was there who'd only turn up in pre-season. You, you wouldn't see this guy in the season or after the season. He was just there for pre-season. And he had one goal. He'd say this. I'm going to get you to give up or throw up. Paul isn't like that. And I promise I won't be like that at the boot camp either. Paul isn't like that. Paul was, in chapter 12, verse 19, the master builder. He says, everything we do, dear friends, is for your upbuilding, upbuilding, your strengthening, the master builder. He's, a, he's like a loving and tireless parent. Halfway through verse 14 in chapter 12, look, look with me if you've got it. I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Verse 15, so I will... Glad, very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. Now, parents have a, a good sense, I think, of what that means to, to spend everything they have and expend themselves for their kids. He's a master builder. He's like a loving and tireless parent. And he's their pastor who prays for them and earnestly cares for them. Chapter 13, verse 7. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. A bit further on. We're glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. Paul, the master builder, the tireless parent, the pastor who prays and cares for his people, that's who he is. He's got no mixed motives with his uh, wanting them to test themselves. He doesn't want them to fail. One of the things that stood out for me in 2 Corinthians has been the, the, the throbbing heart of the letter. So, so Paul really has put his heart on his sleeve in this letter. And a verse that has, has stood out to me um, is chapter 2, verse 4. I said this last sermon, but it's just so clear. This is the heart behind the test. Chapter 2, 14. For I wrote... No, sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So here we have Paul the tireless parent, the master builder, the pastor, who wants anything for their good. He he just seeks their good. And he thinks the most important thing for them to do now, at the end of the letter, is to stop and test themselves. So if someone you know is losing weight, if they're not getting much sleep, if they're seeming more and more stressed and anxious at work, if they're complaining of um, occasional dizziness, these are symptoms of exhaustion, a loving thing for you to do would be why don't you, to say, why don't you go see a doctor and get some tests? The church in Corinth has some pretty nasty symptoms. Uh, 12, 20, and 21 describes some of them. Um, 
especially towards the end, there's sexual sin, there's debauchery, there's, there's discord, there's jealousy, fits of rage. There are these ugly symptoms. And probably the best thing Paul can do is say, stop and test yourselves. And it's important that we know the heart behind the test. He's not wanting us to fail this test. If there's health there, that's encouraging. Praise God. If there's not health, well, that's a good thing too for us to know. It means we can do something or we need to do something about it. So that's the heart behind the test. Now we're going to look at the test itself. And the test itself has two aspects. I'm going to sort of quickly outline those two aspects and then I'm going to go back over the two aspects and sort of um, think about them a little bit more. But let's outline these two aspects of what I see as the test. So part one of the test, verse four. He, Jesus, was crucified in weakness. And a bit further on, likewise, we are weak with him. Paul's point, you know, throughout 2 Corinthians, but in the last four chapters especially, is that God's most mighty victory, his victory over sin and Satan, took place on a cross. And the cross is weakness. The cross was a moment of weakness and shame. If you looked at the cross, you would have thought that's a disaster. It looked like defeat for Jesus. But it was actually victory. It looked like failure for Jesus, but it was actually success. It looked like tragedy for Jesus, but it was actually triumph. It was there on the cross as we know that he was crucified in weakness that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The Book of Common Prayer puts it beautifully. Uh, He made there by his one offering of himself... A full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. A moment of complete tragedy was triumph. And this is what we celebrate at church. But look at verse 4 again. He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him. And the point I'm getting at here is that authentic Christian ministry doesn't only have a message of weakness, that Jesus was crucified in weakness... But how God did it is how God does it. How God did it is how God does it. How God did it, Jesus crucified on a cross, is how God works today. God works today in a cross-shaped way. He works through the power of weakness. This is what Paul has been honing home. Is that a way of expressing it? That's what Paul's been really trying to apply to the Corinthians. Authentic Christian ministry looks weak. Okay, we're going to come back to that. This is, that's the first part of the test. The second part of the test is verse 4 again. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power we will live with him in our dealing with you. So having completed his work on the cross so that we could be made new, cleansed, God raised him to be at his right hand. That is a position of power and authority. Jesus is the Lord's, uh, the world's king, the, the Lord. He was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. And as the message of forgiveness of sins, of new life, of reconciliation with God, is proclaimed in apparent weakness, so God comes to dwell within his people 
and he brings about radical change. It's a message of weakness, but it comes in power. So in in chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone receives the message with faith, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new has come. So the test has two parts. Have the Corinthians embraced the cross and authentic Christian ministry? Have they embraced that which seems to be weak? That's the first part of the test. And the second part of the test is, if they have, is there evidence of it? So have they embraced authentic Christian ministry and has authentic Christian ministry embraced them? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realise that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So we're going to go back to part one. Embracing the weakness of authentic Christian ministry. So there's a story told about a young guy who lived in the early 1900s. He was from a a poor northern Irish working class family. He was the first in his family to get into university, Oxford no less. And so his family was dead proud. They'd saved up their pennies and they made it happen to, to get him to university. They were beaming with pride as they were sending him off across the water to Oxford. But such were the family resources that he couldn't come back and forth during the three years. He stayed in Oxford the whole time and gets his education. And so comes the time for graduation. Graduation comes. The family saves up the money to to be there. They get on the boat to England and and they get to Oxford for graduation. And as it's done here, the family is separate from the the graduands. Uh, The graduands, uh, the people getting their degrees, are sitting in the front in their sort of Harry Potter type garb. They get their degree and sit back down. After the graduation... They all go onto the quadrangle and meet their family. So this guy is chatting on the quadrangle with his friends. And a lot's changed in three years. He's lost his regional Irish accent. He's adopted posh southern English ways of speaking. He got used to the Oxford culture and he'd gotten to know some pretty influential and significant people. He learned lots of things that no one else in his family knew. And so he was talking with his friends, and in the distance, on the other side of the quadrangle, he sees his family. Now, they dressed up um, as well as they could in, in suits, but they were pretty shabby compared to the other families there. And they were waving to him. They were waving. They were sort of waving the distance. And, and he was talking with his friends, and he saw in the corner of his eye that his family was there, but he kept on talking to his friends. And, and they were waving, and he kept on talking. And then finally, one of his colleagues asked him, do you know those people? And so then came the moment of decision. What will he say? I don't know them. And he continues talking to the group. The test is, will we treat authentic Christian ministry like that guy treated his family? Because if we do, then we're in danger of leaving behind the message that is at the foundation of authentic Christian ministry. The way God did it is the way God does it. If we reject the way God does it, then we're in danger of rejecting how God did it. Jesus on the cross. So do you embrace authentic Christian ministry? Now I think more dangerous for us than outright rejecting authentic Christian ministry is 
wanting to move towards a spirituality and a way of being in church and a way of following Jesus that so de-emphasizes the weakness of the cross that functionally it's, it's gone. So I've been to churches where the whole aesthetic and the conversation just oozes success and vitality. You get the sense that nothing goes wrong around these people. Every time they pray for healing, they get healed. No one seems to get old because you don't see any old people around. Kids are perfect and nobody seems to talk about things that didn't go right. People's testimonies are about how they moved from awesome to slightly more awesome and Jesus is there cheering them on. The message in these can be too easily just pure strength, power and victory. So much so that the crucified Son of God, who died on our behalf for our sin, just becomes a long way off in our review mirror. Do we embrace authentic Christian ministry? But by embracing authentic Christian ministry, you're embracing the only ministry that actually has real resurrection power. And this leads to part two of the test. Part two, has authentic Christian ministry embraced us? That is, is there evidence of real change in our lives? Um, The message throughout 2 Corinthians has been that as the message of Christ crucified enters into a person's heart, the Lord Jesus, with all of his power, will begin to affect real and deep and lasting change. And we won't suddenly become the complete article, that's for sure. We won't be changed completely as one day we will be. But there will be change and our transformation graph will have an upward trend. Now, as a bit of a sidebar, I'd like to return to a very important verse in the context of 2 Corinthians. What's the engine of change? What's the engine? What, what, sort of, what causes our change? Let's, let's turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Here, Paul is comparing the new covenant ministry with, with, um, with the old covenant. Moses couldn't see the glory of God without a veil on his face. 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. Sorry, I read that wrong again. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So that the ultimate source of our power is the Spirit's work in us. But the Spirit causes us to contemplate the Lord's glory. And as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are changed, Paul says. We're transformed into his image, Jesus' image, the Lord, his image with ever-increasing glory. Key to our transformation, key to how the Spirit works in us, is that the Spirit leads us to contemplate the Lord's glory, to, to look to Jesus, to, to read the scriptures always with an eye to Jesus, to, to be praising God in our prayers, the Lord Jesus, to be singing songs, and as we sing songs, we're contemplate, contemplating the Lord's glory. And as we do all these things, 
We're being changed. We're being transformed into ever-increasing glory, into his likeness. Authentic Christian ministry, although weak, comes with real power. And the power might not look that impressive on the surface, but it comes with the deepest type of change. So there are, there are two types of renovation shows. There's something like House Rules, uh, where there's no real renovations going on. Like a wall might be torn down here and a new side bench put in here, but most of the changes are pretty superficial. New fixtures, new paint, new blinds. The finished product is basically the same house. But then there's something like grand designs, especially the episodes where the owners start with something so old and run down they pretty much need to start again. By the end, after resetting the foundations, after rerouting the plumbing, after uh, re-establishing the drainage and, and only keeping the old parts that are aesthetic, it's a totally new place. That's the power of the gospel. It comes with real power to make deep changes in us. And so maybe one of the best things you could do this week is ask someone you know well, who knows you well and who loves you, ask them these questions. Have you seen real change in my life? Have you seen growth in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Have you seen in me a stronger commitment to serving Jesus? Because those are the evidence of, of deep change. And the reason why I think it's good to ask someone else to ask you, no, don't ask it there. The reason why I think it's good for you to ask someone else is because some of us, by temperament, just assume that whenever we test or just assume that whenever we sit a test, we fail. We did terribly. And some of us, by temperament, um, assume that whatever test we sit, we did awesome, no matter how well they did. Asking someone else just brings a bit of objectivity. So. Verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. That's been our focus tonight. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, for the Corinthian Christians, if some fail the test, and I think Paul's thinking particularly of the false teachers and those, uh, those who sort of really support them and, and beat their drum, then when he returns for his third visit, he will act with power using his apostolic authority. So chapter 13, verse 2, I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others. But this, Paul means that he's going to throw them out of the church. He, he's done it before in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when a particular person wouldn't repent from a particularly destructive sin. And Paul, the, the, the loving parent, the master builder, the pastor, to do this wouldn't have been an easy thing. But there does come a point in authentic Christian ministry if a person's destructive lifestyle makes it clear that, that neither have they embraced Christian, authentic Christian ministry nor has it embraced them. Then for the safety of the community, that's the best thing that can happen. But for the Corinthians, he hopes for much better things. Verses 11 to 14. Paul paints a vision of a Christian community that we'd all like to be a part of. A community of people having their eyes fixed on Jesus who are being together transformed by the Spirit. Verse 11. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. I'll skip the holy kiss bit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father God, don't hold back your Holy Spirit from us, but work powerfully amongst us, we pray. Father, please make us into a community of rejoicing where we are continually astounded by your grace and mercy that you in Jesus took our sin, nailed it to a cross so that we could experience new life, resurrection life in the present, in us, working in us and promising a future of everlasting resurrection life. Father, we pray that we be a community where we always are seeking to encourage one another. Please be working in us so that we're of one mind and we're living at peace, always seeking restoration when restoration needs to be made between us. Father, we pray all these things because we are your children, loved with an eternal love expressed for us in your son Jesus. Amen.